Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua, your host, and today is part two of the interview that I did with Pete Quinones. To give you a refresher, we have been talking about two different strategies for increasing liberty and freedom for all of us. And one of those strategies would be kind of a Machiavellian local political approach where you do local politics and in doing so you start moving the needle. And the other approach would be one of agorism, more of a community agorism approach where you're taking direct action outside of the system and avoiding the political route. Those are kind of these two approaches that we're discussing. Pete is basically arguing for the local politics approach, and I am arguing for the community agorism approach, and we are discussing all of the different aspects of this. So where we left off, Pete had just gotten done talking about some of the laws that have been changed that have increased liberty, kept people out of jail, gotten people out of jail, and made a difference, made a meaningful difference in people's lives. And he said that this is something that can increase freedom for many, many people. But even if it's just for one person, that is very worth it. And just going to the voting booth and voting no can make that difference. And so I will pick back up with my continuing this conversation from there. Yeah, yeah. And so I would agree. I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. Um, I think we have the same eventual goal of a society that is mostly free. The state still does exist, but the hierarchy is decided mostly on a more local level. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are free to live the way they want to live to a much larger degree than now. Things are more privatized than they are now. And yeah, totally agree. So I guess my maybe I have a different view of agorism than I guess a lot of agorists. Um, not really sure. Not really sure why it would be different. But I, I agree. I do hear a lot of agorists that talk a lot about self-sufficiency and about pulling out of the system yourself, withdrawing your own support and supporting yourself outside of the system, which, you know, yeah, that's part of it. But to me, a, a bigger part of that is the systems and the communities that you build. And that's at least equal in importance, if not more, than your own individual liberty. And so, like you talk about, you know, voting and stopping attacks or changing a regulation, that is going to influence a life or even thousands of lives. And I would agree. And I would say, to me, it's more potent to have an alternative system in place. Let's use homeschooling, since that's been a common example here. If there is a strong homeschooling community, and that brings in just one family, or that could bring in thousands of families... That is a very, very, very impactful thing for those people in those families. And it's something that's actually happening on a ground level. It seems like a lot of the the push for freedom through regulation often has to do, for some reason, with uh, the more libertine ideas, like you mentioned earlier. So it's, oh, you are free to do drugs. Oh, you're free to do sex work. Oh, you're free to do these types of things, which... I believe in free will. And so, yes, I think you're free to make your own decisions. But uh, it seems that on a very ground level, affecting people's personal lives, their lives are more positively effective, uh, affected if their kids get a quality education than if they're allowed to smoke weed on the street. 
And so sure. my no. push personally. I'm just using that as a, an example of the monopoly on violence. And so say that you have this great homeschooling system going locally. Okay. And then nationally, they outlaw homeschooling. Yeah. And make it illegal. Now, locally, on I mean, there are countries that have made homeschooling illegal. Um, True. Germany. Yeah. So, and (laughs) everything starts in another country and then comes here. Yeah. And I don't want to seem like this libertine person who wants to smoke weed and wants this. It's just that I'm using that as an example because, I mean, that is the most gross um, things a monopoly on violence could do. And I'm one of those people who's like, okay, I want there to be different communities where there are people who are. I mean, I want to. I'm probably going to be in a um, a community that's more conservative, culturally, mm-hmm. um, socially, um, because I believe that that community will last longer and be more cohesive than one that is more libertine. Um, but as far as like if if I was one of the people who had say over the community, it's like I don't want people going to jail for those things. But going back to okay, so say federal decides to outlaw homeschooling. I mean, if you have somebody like me on your side locally, I'm going to tell them to go screw themselves and I'm going to do everything I can to run interference for you and for you to keep going and do what you want. And also, I mean, if I owned even if I owned the friggin the school system, like I mentioned earlier, which was really for for shock value, um, I wouldn't want people to I wouldn't say people shouldn't homeschool. I believe people need to make their own decisions. And I would definitely run um, run interference if if something happened on a state level or, you know, it's just, you need powerful people and you really need powerful people in your corner. And I don't think that, yeah, I think not realizing that is just so naive is, and I think that's yeah. where a lot of the naivete of, you know, classic, Conkian type of agorist go to, you know, it's like, well, I'll just go live in the woods. Well, Randy Weaver did that. They went, they shot his wife in the face and they, they killed his yep. son. Um, sure. I mean, it could happen. You could get away with it. They might leave you alone and everything, but they're going to, you know, they might make examples. And if you, if I was able to take over the town I live in, they could make an example out of us. Well, that's why you, I mean, well, if somebody else is already, if, 10 other towns have already been taken over just like I did and they fold because they came and they massacred me and everyone who was doing that here. Well, I'm sorry if they went and did that. And if they did that in another town and I had that same setup here, I wouldn't back down. You just don't back down. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, churches didn't, churches didn't, you know, sectarian type of churches didn't shut down after Waco. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we live in a tough world right now because one side of politics, I mean, people who say that, you know, Oh, there's really only one side of politics and everybody in the government's the same Well, whatever. I don't care. Um, But there is one group of people that control the narrative and they can turn anyone into the enemy. They can turn anyone into the hero, you know? And, um, you know, so who the hell, I guess all, all we can do so is I've try got a little bit of a pushback. Yeah, sure. So 
I guess my thought would be when you talk about power, I totally agree. We need power. We need to use power. Power is one of the tools that is necessary for making change, especially on you know a macro level. My, I guess my difference would be that I see a lot of power in ideology and influence, uh, wealth, not, I see that having a completely bigger impact things. in modern, completely different things. Ideology true, and wealth true. are completely different things. They are agreed, agreed. But where I'm going with this is that it's more of a soft power that has a lot more influence on today's culture. And like you mentioned, you know, the, the narrative that gets pushed is pushed by a smaller group of elites, you know, not by the masses. And mm -hmm. so ideally, we want to shift these things, um, all of these things. And this would be the way to use power would be to gain control of these methods. And to me, in my local community, if let's say, like you said, they nationally made homeschooling illegal. So if I had a strong homeschooling community of a few thousand people in my county that everybody was connected, obviously they're connected to a lot more people than just those thousand families. You know, it's everybody they go to church with, it's their family, it's the local community. They're going to have a lot of people on their side. And the fact that the majority or at least a large portion of that community, that county, whatever, because a large portion of them are on the side of, let's say, the homeschoolers, the homeschooling community, that is going to influence local politics. And to me, that does a similar thing as what you're talking about, about directly going after local politics, because local politics is often pushed a lot by the vocal minorities. And if you start stirring people up because... You know, they're attacking this homeschooling community that's kind of a foundation, foundational part of their community. It's their friends. It's their family. You know, that is going to push how politicians are able to vote and how they're able to proceed from here if they want the public support of that community, which obviously they do. And so that strategy of influencing the community and having that alternative in play not only helps the political perspective, that political game, but also you are building out that, you know, that system, that alternative system that is something that is much more ideal than the current education system. So I kind of feel like you're getting both things. You're helping families at a ground level with their children and their loved ones and reaching out to the community. So a very practical thing that that you're benefiting the community through and you're influencing the politics because you're influencing the community. You know, you you influence the culture, like you said, and that does push politics. And so, yeah, I, I agree that power is the way. And I guess I would just think, at, at least top of my head, I would think that if you are influencing the culture of your local community and a large portion of them, and you get them towards an ideology that is in line with these things. And again, it doesn't have to be libertarianism or agorism or whatever, but if their ideology becomes more in line with having these wonderful families around because they're friendly and their kids seem so respectful and well-educated and, hey, this has been really good for my cousin so-and-so and whatever, especially in small towns, that has a lot of influence and that's a lot of power. And that power 
is then displayed politically in how those local politicians are doing things. And so I, I guess kind of my pushback would be that going that route, and again, this isn't the self-sufficient, you know, Ted Kaczynski route of ag- agorism, if you want to call it that. This is building a community, seeking a more moral, I guess, uh, life route for a lot of people and making that an option. That seems to be very effective and realistic. And it seems like you can get a lot of people on board with that. And you already have a lot of movements like the environmentalist movement that, you know, I would say had some very good origins of, yes, we want to take care of the environment. We don't want to pollute and ruin our planet. We don't want to, you know, cause harm to other people and their health. But that's obviously been taken to some major extremes that go in the opposite direction. And, you know, but the point is that people are drawn towards that marketing, that propaganda, that ideology, whatever you want to call it, they're drawn towards that idea. And if we can draw them towards a good version of that idea, that's easily, uh, I guess, uh, you can easily draw a distinction between that and the current systems. And you can easily get people on board with that. Even if they don't participate, they will, it's very unlikely that they would be against that. So if you have a local group, that call themselves the voluntary society, it was pretty hard to attack the voluntary society. You know, most people believe in free will and voluntary interaction. And, you know, that's kind of hard to attack. And if you say, hey, you go to public school, you go to private school, we're going to homeschool, you know, everybody should be able to do their own things. We're just going to make sure that there is an option for those that are interested in homeschooling or, you know, whatever the example may be. And so I want to make sure that those options exist that helps individuals so they're not so restricted uh, being a part of the current system because right now most people are tied to it so much that they can't get away from it. And it's also going to draw the community towards this, let's say, ideology. And in doing all of this, it influences local politics. So to me, that kind of benefits everybody and that kind of addresses all these different angles, whereas just dumping a bunch of money into local elections can benefit things and some similar things in some similar ways, but it doesn't have as much of a macro impact on the community as building out those alternatives. At least that's kind of where I'm thinking on the top of my head. What would you think about that? I mean, if you're looking at some point to what you're talking about is relying upon, you know, it might get to the point where you need politicians and you need them to step up for you. Um, would you re- would you rather the whole board ha- be people who have Hillary Clinton bumper stickers or would you rather it be my friends? Definitely rather it be your friends and many people in my area. I'm in the Bible Belt. I'm close to you or where you were at least. So yeah, a lot of conservatives around here and I would much rather those conservatives be in power than the liberals. Um, however, you know, even go back to someone like Jefferson had a lot of great things to say about liberty, um, as well as many other presidents and governors and mayors uh, throughout the past few hundred years. And, you know, some of them did slow things down. Some of them expanded freedoms in some areas. But the overall trend is not great, I guess. And so, you know, if I can have a real impact on people in their real lives and their kids and their families and the community as a whole. You know, if I 
if I promote things like gardening and homesteading, not only is that drawing people away from this complete reliance on Walmart or the local grocery store, Dollar General, whatever, but it's also increasing their health. You know, they're actually getting decent nutrition. Mm -hmm. Not only that, you are building more jobs because, you know, local farmers are actually able to farm if people are buying their goods. Whereas if hardly anybody comes to the farmer's market, you could only have a handful of people that are doing this for profit. Most people just have to do it on the side and do it for a hobby. Whereas having that be an option for a career path for local people, it, it really makes a bigger difference on a ground level. And so that's kind of more what I'm pushing for. And I don't think that if me and those in my community lean more towards that direction, I don't think that that then leaves the power up for grabs for people of the left. I think that actually influences the local culture so that the left doesn't even, they have less of a stronghold and less of an influence and less of a chance because they don't have that local public support. You seem to be arguing that one one over the other. I'm not. I'm not arguing. No, I one totally over the agree other. that Yeah, I'm arguing both. Yeah, and yeah, I'm I've never been somebody who was like, well, you know, I was 100% in on agorism now and now I um, you know, growing your own food and homeschooling and stuff like that. I mean, I don't even I don't even consider that to be agorism. I think agorism agorist just stole that and, and said, "Oh, we're going to put that under the umbrella of agorism." Well, I mean, homeschooling was started basically by religious people and religious, I mean, they, mm-hmm. agorism wasn't mentioned, you know, they just, that's something that agorists co-opted and put under their umbrella. And I guess it's a good enough description and everything like that. And growing your own food. Isn't that what people did for thousands of years, millennia. And they were much less reliant on, you know, bigger businesses and the state. Sure. And I I don't think that's agorism. I think that's growing your own food like your great, great, great grandparents did to get through hard times. It's both, though, because agorism is operating outside of the system and building out the current counter economy. And so, you know, food production is part of that, just like education is part of that, just like every other aspect of society, you know, is part of that. And so anything that builds out systems outside of the corporate and governmental system, at least in my mind, is under that umbrella of agorism. And I view agorism more of an ideology that, you know, as even Konkin described it, it would be operating outside of the system and growing the counter economy. And I would say all those things fall under that. But yeah, totally agree that historically, so many examples we can point to that were around before agorism. Like in my show, I'm covering the example of the original church, like when the disciples of Jesus were around and the very early church in Rome, it was this group that was not a part of Roman society and culture. They didn't want to have much to do with the state. They didn't want to have much to do with the culture. They had major disagreements with both. And they started alternative systems and ways of living. They had alternative welfare systems that even the Roman state and governors were uh, writing letters about, about how horrible it was, because they're not only taking care of their people, they're taking care of our people, and they're drawing away support. And you know, some of the noble families weren't having as many kids and they're worried about that. And some of the soldiers weren't fighting in these foreign wars. And 
you know, that upset things for Rome and all of these things. They were doing this. And I guess I would call that very similar to or the same as agorist behavior in the sense that they are building systems outside of the system and building ways of transacting and living and helping that have nothing to do with the state or the corporate world. And that by definition, that's agorism, although I agree with you, that's not generally the way people talk about it nowadays for some reason. Um, not not really quite sure where that disconnect is, but but yeah, I mean, that's I guess that's how I would view it. And I've read plenty of Konkin and I don't see any contradictions there. So yeah, I would say that you could make it so simple as to say, you know, look at how people lived a hundred years ago. Most people, at least where I live, most people had a pig in their backyard. They had chickens running around. They had a little garden and that did make them much more resilient. There was much less money and taxes that are going into the system because they were doing their own things. They were much more able to help their family and friends and people in their community because they were growing more. They had more than they needed. And you give away that or you sell it for money and you're probably not going to claim that on your taxes. And so it's it's the same pattern. It's the same symbol. It's the same ideology of agorism, even if it wasn't going by the title agorism at the time. And what you're describing is something that works insanely well on the local level. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, I, so I would also agree with you that the, the Benedict option, the Ted Kaczynski option, whatever the running away option is, um, that's not my style. People should be free to be able to do that if they want. And it's kind of cool in certain ways. But that's not what I'm going for, as well as the... Uh, militia movement, kind of that strategy of directly opposing the system by force, or at least being ready to, uh, that's not my extreme either. Um, and so it seems like in the middle, if you really want to affect change, you either do it by building out these alternative systems in your local community or focusing on local politics. And I agree you can do both and they do work really well together. Totally agree with that. But living in a world of limited resources you know, I personally am living my life and I can't pursue both of those things and raise a family and have a homestead and do a podcast and do all the things I'm doing. I have to pick one. And so to me, I look at the two options and in between now and having a, let's say, pretty liberty focused society, that interim period, I like that interim period better when it's something similar to now with a lot of alternative movements going on that are then influencing things than shifting more into that Machiavellian technocratic uh, path, so to say. Um, yeah, and it seems like they both could lead to the same place. They both can be effective. And you know, I definitely would not say that, oh, you shouldn't pursue this you know, strategy. I, I totally agree with you that there are many effective things about it. But again, in a world of limited resources and time, at least the way that I am looking at it, and as I'm assessing all these different angles, it just seems to be more effective um, for individuals and local community to give them these alternatives and to introduce them to these alternatives and draw them to this and operate on that level. You know, and I would, I would definitely say that you know, if there is a person that is a natural leader and that for whatever reason maybe is independently wealthy or you know whatever qualifications make them more suited to a political strategy go for it 
then you are probably going to have more of an impact politically than you would have through the Agora. And therefore, you should probably pursue that. But um, I guess culture, uh, looking at my local society, at least, my local culture, my local county, it seems that for the majority of people, vast majority of people, their efforts are going to reap much more and be much more effective towards pushing a more liberty-minded culture when pursuing, when actually pursuing the agorist ideology, not when just talking about it, reading books and doing the libertarian thing of, oh, I'm the smartest person around kind of a thing, but actually doing it. When, when they're actually doing that and you're actually building these things out, you're actually reaching out to people, like that's just so effective. And so that's why, you know, I would, I would definitely call people mostly towards that, even while I would say that, yes, there is room for and there are times when the political approach might be a better approach. Um, But I guess the vast majority of times, the way I'm looking at it, at least, it seems that truly living out the agorist ideology and doing that as an ideology, um, that does seem to be uh, seems to have a very large amount of theoretical impact, I should say. You know, we, we don't know the future, but, you know, it seems that looking at history, looking at my local area and looking at these options, that seems to be a more effective option for at least most people is what I would say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm... <laughs> I've I've given up arguing with agorists. I mean, well, I, I, I'll, I'll debate. I'm just not going to I'm at the my wits end trying to change their mind. Um, there is nobody there is no group in within the umbrella of libertarianism who is harder for me to talk to than agorists. It's just gotten to the it's gotten to the point where, I mean, and I'm. If you would have talked to me last last summer, I'm sure I would have had the same attitude of, no, this is exactly the way we have to do it. And I had people who, when when I broke from that, I had people who contacted me and they're like, "Thank you, thank you. I just couldn't deal with this friggin' agorism is the only way anymore, and everything." And so, you know, once I broke out of that, it was just like, okay, well, I mean, I you know, I don't, I'm not saying I'm better than everyone else than anyone else, but it to me, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a anything that's going to actually move the needle as far as umbrella liberty goes but i think a lot of people will have will have um help will achieve individual liberty at least to a certain extent i mean i know i have through uh through agorist activities but the um yeah i mean i just don't I understand the whole I, I understand the whole thing of oh build what you want to see what's coming next and everything like that. It's like well what's coming next is we're going to need like manufacturing and things like that. So if you're like able to you know outside of the system build manufacturing plants, well, that's really cool. I don't think that's going to happen at all. Um, I think that if you try to do that, you are going to get shut down. You probably won't even get the property rented to, to you because they're going to want to see a business license. 
Um, maybe you'll have to buy your own property and then build something. And then, of course, you know, there's building permits and everything. They're going to want to know what you're doing and everything. And I don't know, maybe a local politician can get those permits like taken away so that you don't need those permits in order to build what comes next. I mean, it just seems like um, yeah. it seems like one needs the other. Um, and, you know, I've come to the belief that agorism just seems really for lack of a better term, uh, when I hear when I hear Agoras talk, and when I hear myself talk the way I was talking, selfish. It just seems like a, okay. it seems selfish. It seems very individualistic, and individuals are there is no there is no individualism. I mean, you know, anarchists who you know, are like, oh, I can't deal with other people and everything. It's like, oh, well, you're just going to be a shit poster online. And that's basically what you're going to be doing and everything. So, um, I mean, I don't want to call anybody selfish. It's just that I'm the way you get attacked from agorists and, you know, I'm, you know, and agorists are supposed to be like outside of politics. It's like, Oh, we don't want anything to do with politics. We're going to get outside of politics. And then they get online and they start attacking anybody who's doing anything, doing anything in politics. And it's like, you're in politics. You just joined politics. You're debating <laughs> yeah, politics, yeah. but you don't want anything to do with. Po- Why aren't you growing food? Why aren't you 3D <laughs> yeah. printing a gun right now? Why aren't you reloading ammo? You're online screaming about screaming about politics. I thought you don't like politics. Get me a fucking carrot. So, and I might have gotten the wrong impression from previous podcasts you've done more recently. Um, obviously, you have shifted away from pure agorism to a political approach being something that you would push for. Um, it sounds like you, however, would still agree there is a place for agorism, and that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, there's a place for there's a place that, for I know a guy. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, would you say that at least the way that I've described, uh, maybe it's my personal view and that's different than most people, I don't know, but the way I've described it of trying to reach out to the community yeah, and building things you're that totally are diff- you're totally not individualistic? Than, yeah, you're totally different than most, most agorists that I listen to. Um, you're talking about actually okay. bringing community together. And um, I mean, what you're talking about doing is actually more dangerous than the individual <laughs> agorist because you're it's just you're going to have a lot of people involved and people are going to talk and everything like that and then you're you never know sure. what's going to happen you never know who's going to feel threatened by whatever you're doing and things like that and you know, it can bring down a lot of heat on yourself and it's like I, I remember when Aaron said that I, I remember when Aaron said getting elected locally man it just it'd be awesome because we could just run we could run interference for agorists, you know, for people doing that yeah. kind of stuff. And I was like, all right, that's not a bad idea, you know? And Aaron's not some friggin' Lalbert, you know, Lalbertarian who, you know, he's, he's hardcore and he understands that, you know, that markets outside, especially if things start getting short. Um, I mean, and growing your own food, come on, that's just, that's just logic. Um, printing it your should own be guns, basic. It's yeah. just logic. Um, all these things of doing for yourself or logic, I would just warn people when when you start bringing that together into a group and everything, just be careful. Be careful. You might yeah. need someone to run in for interference for you locally, you know. And uh, 
that's where that's where me and my friends might be able to come in and help. Yeah. Yeah. So would you at least and I'm not going to argue with you against it, just wondering your opinion. Would you at least say that the way I have described my version of the strategy would be at least uh, comparable to the effectiveness of what you are thinking for um, the potential effectiveness of pushing local politics? Or would you say that there's still probably a big gap there in your mind? I don't think there's a big gap. I mean, I think that people need to do what's best for them. Um, And I think that, honestly, if you're talking about getting networks of people together, that's closer to what Konkin's vision was than, you know, the person shit posting online. So, oh, look, look at this 3D gun I just printed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you're getting people to come together, um, that's that's pretty powerful. But I mean, I think that people who can get people to come together and see a vision, they could also be very, um, I think they, they can't ignore the fact that they're politicians. Yes. Yeah. That they're, they're playing the, they're playing the role of a politician. Yeah. And that it's fine. It's fine. As long as it's private, as long as it's decentralized, as long as, um, you know, there's no monopoly on violence there to you know, pick winners and losers. You know, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, organizing it. Some people can do organizing, and you know, everything I've heard from Agora, everything I read in Konkin, and you know, the the grand vision of Konkin. Yeah, I just don't see it. I don't see it being done, and I don't see how it can be done. Um, outside of having political having having somebody give political protection to it. And, you know, when it comes down to it, it's like, I'm not even talking about, I'm not talking about drugs. I'm not talking about alcohol and stuff like that. I'm talking about like just building, you know, growing food and selling it. And, um, you know, I mean, going beyond, you know, I want someone to build a frigging internet right now. That's, that's censorship proof, you know, that, that no one has that someone builds and then just lets go and that it's, AI or blockchain or something. I mean, I'm, I'm a moron. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but it seems like that that's the most important thing to do right now, because on the big in, in, uh, on the grand scale, you know, they can cut people, you can make it so that you can't get internet. You can't communicate with people. They're trying to make it so that you can't shop at stores. Things like that, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, if, if that comes down to it, yeah, growing your own food is going to be pretty friggin' important and everything like that. But also there should be people out there who are actually fighting the, you know, fighting the system, at least at the local level. I mean, 10%, less than 10% of the people can push a population, especially a local population. And if you get people just yeah. fired up and everything, then you know, there's a. There's places you can go with it. There's things that can be done, you know, and you know, at this point it's what must be done. Plug. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. So, uh, the, the final thing then that I want to wrap up with is going back to that idea of ideology. I know that there are plenty of people that have issues with the political method because they believe it to be immoral and they believe that system to be immoral, and they can't mesh their, let's say, roughly Judeo-Christian ethics um, with the idea of pushing a political method of basically control, I guess, over a local area. Um, Do you see there being room 
for uh, seeking this political method that you are talking about with local politics, these kinds of things, local regulations, do you see there there being any room for ideology with that approach, or are you would you say that um, you basically have to throw out your ideology and stick to purely what works and gaining power? Well, you govern. You, once you get power, you govern upon what you think is going to work the best. You know what I think works the best is you know no re- a free market and mm-hmm. um, allowing people allowing people the liberty to live where they want to live where they want to. I mean, it, it, it all comes back to private property. It, I mean, it, yeah. it, if we have private property, if people know what they own and it's completely delineated, what, what you want to do is you want to eliminate any causes for violence. That's what people, people just don't like violence. They're averse to violence. There are some people that like violence, you know, and those are psychopaths and they need to be, you know, removed from society or any culture, but you want to do what you can to reduce the amount of violence that happens. And really the easiest way to do that is to people know what they own. And yeah, I think you just go to a private property culture, a culture of, Hey, I own this, you own that. And I can operate a business off of here as long as I'm not hurting my neighbor and um, yeah, things like Get, get get it to that. And I, I think ideology, once you get there, I mean, anything's ideology, any kind of governance is ideology. I'm someone who opens, you know, it's like, well, I think the, I think the school should be private, privately owned. That's an ideology. What yeah. you teach in it, me saying that the, the trivium should be teach by the time they can read, you know, can talk. That's me pushing an ideology. It's just a matter of, is it a good ideology or not? Some people, it would be really strange for me to explain the trivium method to parents and have them push back on it. Most people don't even know what exists. True. If they've heard the term trivium, they were probably scrolling through Spotify and saw that there was a band called trivium. And they didn't realize I've run across was, them before. So, yeah, it, it didn't realize that they were um, there was a method that that it's actually pointing to something. Um, I think people need options. Yeah, that's something that Ryan McMakin talks about all the time. He goes, basically, the closer you get to anarchy, just the more choice you have. You know, the closer you get to private property, yeah. the more choice you have. It's just, you know, what are your choices? And I think people need to be able to associate with people they want to associate with and they need to be able to exclude the association of people they want to they don't want to associate with i mean that's just freedom of association and, and i don't care what that looks like um if people consider that to be you know rude now or evil now if it's something you know racial or if it's something to do with religion or something like that it just doesn't matter people should be able to be able to choose that and I think that once people start getting more choice, that that's when you start seeing more peace and that's all ideology, you know, to have, yeah, to come at it from an ideology, you know, people think that ideology has to be like this thing that is, you know, books and books. I mean, there's volumes that 
happens right here. I mean, this is ideology. It's all ideology. And when it comes down to it, it's like a couple words. It's like private property. It's like choice and it's association. Really. And if you can just give people that, um, or at least open the door for it, pave pave the path for it, pave the road for it, then um, I think that, I don't know that everybody would embrace it, but if a small vocal minority embraces it, most people are sheep and they're going to go along with it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that, you know, myself and some friends are working on that. I don't want to talk about now and strategy wise, just because it's not laid out. It's not, um, it hasn't been perfected yet, but I mean, there are, we have some great ideas on stuff to do locally that is just going to really blow people away. I mean, really going above and beyond what has been written before and ideas that people have had before and borrowing from some ideas, just expanding upon them. And um, yeah, I can't wait to when they get finally get um, revealed to see how people react to them. I mean, I know how like a certain segment of libertarianism is just going to be like, this is statism and whatever. I don't care. Of course. <laughs> of course. Don't, don't listen. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for, I honestly think that over the last 17 months, there are a lot of people out there who are keeping their mouth shut because they don't want to rock the boat, but they're actually looking for something that they're actually waiting for it to be presented with something. You know, and when I started talking about and really questioning libertarian ideology through you know, the last 50 years and especially the last 17 months, um, my audience doubled hmm. because you're not allowed to do that. And apparently when I started doing it, a bunch of people who had been doing it in their own head were like, OK, all right, let's see what Pete has to say, because he's saying some things that I've thought. And I've, I've actually lost some people, um, recently because, you know, I'm, I'm very critical of libertarian ideology, um, at where, where it is and what, um, exactly how much, how much power it has or how much, um, how it could be a reality, how much of it can actually be a reality in the real world. You know, when you examine power structures, when you examine, um, anthropology and you know I've lost some people and that's fine you know hopefully they'll come back one day when they realize that we're actually looking to have plans to implement that people can run with and that people can actually and that they're not hard that they're simple and hopefully that people will see it and hopefully we'll make we'll make a splash. And I think that a lot of it is going to work. I I don't think it's going to all work. It's not going to work perfectly and everything, but I think enough of a dent can be made in certain areas that a couple of areas need to be successful with it. At least it's successful enough that other, that other areas go, Hey, what are they doing over there? That's the way politics works. That's say, Hey, wait a minute. That worked. I remember when in uh, 2007, when Ron Paul was doing money bombs. So he was doing these things. They were doing these things. Do you remember? You know what I'm talking about? They had like these. Vaguely. I don't remember exactly how it went. Oh, it was just a fundraising thing. It was like, okay, so Ron Paul's taking um, 
donations on this website today. And people would just, I mean, he would get, you get tens of thousands of dollars in a day and everything like that. And, um, Ron said he'd like go down to the house floor and people and like his constituents would walk up to him and go, how are you doing this? How are you getting them to just send this money like that and everything? And that is what I want. I want with the things that we're working on for them to work and work enough that people are like, Hey, wait a minute, how are you doing this? What is so how can I make it work here and everything? And then it can start to spread. I don't think I, I hate the appeal to authority uh, fallacy, especially in the last 17 months, because God, every you're questioning a doctor. Yes. Yes. I'm questioning a doctor, but I think that, you but know, the when experts you, say, yeah. But when you look at what Hoppe wrote, you know, 25 years ago, just don't dismiss it. Read it and see if it makes sense. The audio's on the audio's on YouTube. Listen to it. It's the last, I mean, it's called What Must Be Done. It's the last 25 minutes. If you don't want to listen to the whole thing, listen to the last 25 minutes. And listen to it a couple times and see what he has to say and see if you if you think it's listen to it and what he, the suggestions he's making. Think about the audience that he's speaking that that would be hearing these words on the local level, and whether they would be appealing to them, and if they would fight to have these to have these uh, measures instituted, because he's not appealing to everyone. He's appealing to the people who really have skin in the game, and mm-hmm. people who have skin in the game, they know they have skin in the game. And they're sick and tired of being treated like second class. Like they're sick and tired of being treated just like the person who's collecting welfare. They want something different. They want something more. They want, they want to be recognized. And I think, uh, I think playing to people's ego is also a really good thing to do. And I think that, (laughs) and when it comes down to it, as long as the motivation behind it is solid, then why not? Why not? Yeah. People have been manipulated. People have been manipulated by evil people for so long. Be nice for some nice people to try to give them a little manipulation and uh, see if they can put them on the path to private property. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that covers everything that at least I wanted to address. Um, you've listed a few resources. I've listened to Hoppe recently, actually, and also read the uh, Machiavellian since you started talking about it, I guess, a few months ago or something. And uh, do you have any other resources related to these things that you would recommend in addition to these, as well as could you let the audience know where they can find you if they are not aware yet? Sure. Um, Free Mammy on the Wall podcast. Uh, I have a Substack. It's pquinones.substack.com. It's called By Any Memes Necessary. Um, I would say go to, this is, it can be difficult reading. I would start with, um, like, I'm talking about Mencius Moldbug, Unqualified, Unqualified Reservations, his 2007 blog that he ran for a bunch of years. The first thing on there is the Formalist Manifesto. And I think that's something that it's only 10 pages, 12 pages. And most people can get through it in, you know, 20 minutes, a half hour. And I think it really lays out power. It's what Hoppe talks about 
a lot of what Hoppe talks about, because he was very influenced by Hoppe. He was a Misesian. He was a Rothbardian. And then he started reading Hoppe. And he was like, he realized that Hoppe understood, hmm. talked about power and talked about political power and like the ins and outs of political power and how it works. So he started reading, you know, what he believed that Hoppe was reading and uh, what he believed. Yeah. What he believed that Hoppe was reading. And he started, you know, he starts out the formalist manifesto going, I decided to come up with my own ideology and here I am on the internet and everything like that. And then you just, and you just start reading and a lot of his essays are three, 4,000 words and everything. But I I think that it makes you think there are some, um, if you go on YouTube, like mold bug explained channels where they'll, they do videos that will like basically take the whole entirety of unqualified reservations the website and break it down into like six or seven videos so you can understand exactly what he's talking about because i mean this is a guy who was a libertarian and then he said libertarianism can't work give him a listen and if you don't want to listen to him because he does when i've had him on he he's like me i stutter a lot and i say a lot of uhs and he but if you there are some con- um, con- condensations of his work on YouTube that are that I've listened to that have benefited me greatly when I've read an essay of his and I'm just like, what the hell's going on here? I have no idea. All these references, I can't, I can't do this right now. And um, so, yeah, unqualified reservations, Burnham, uh, the managerial revolution, which is Burnham's first book. Not everything. He, he makes some predictions in there. Not all of them got he got right. But when you see like what he predicted and you look at like the last 17 months and you're just like, Whoa, wait a minute. You can see, you can clearly see in there and, um, uh, read Hoppe democracy. The God that failed is just, I've read it and read it once, listened to it once. And it's just, I think the, one of the most crucial libertarian, not only libertarian books, one of the most crucial political books out there because it really shows that democracy is absolutely the idea that of voting on a grand scale and 50, you know, 50.1% um, ruling over the other 49.9 is just absolutely insane and doesn't work out well. And we have a century of it to prove so. And um, I don't know. Crisis in Leviathan by Robert Higgs is another one, another good one, because it really shows how um, whenever there is a crisis, how, government ratchets up the power up their power by exploiting it and uh that's a that's a real good one it's just it's really a bunch of his essays and everything but it's a critical book in order to understand just how government especially in the 20th century has grown how this government has grown to be the national government has grown to be so huge and hopefully those books will put people off on national politics and they can start looking at local politics and democracy Democracy, the God that failed, is one of the places where you can uh, start hear him talk, hear him start talking about local politics and uh, how important it is if um, if you know, we're going to move on if we're going to get yeah. past this horror, this century of warfare, and um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's some recommendations. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you very much. That's always helpful. I'm always looking for more on the list, even though 
my list seems never ending, but <laughs> one day I'll get to them all. I'll try to include links in the show notes. Um, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate the conversation and you being willing to uh, go back and forth on some of these ideas that no we have different views on. But overall, I think we have a lot of agreements as well. And I appreciate you doing that and doing that in a way that uh, is not argumentative, but is beneficial for all the listeners. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you, Josh. So that will conclude the interview with Pete Quinones. I really enjoyed having him on and discussing these different things. Obviously, we have some different approaches, and it should be obvious as well that a lot of his arguments are for individualistic agorism or against individualistic agorism versus what I am advocating for, which is more of a communal agorist approach, which I think is more logical for agorism. Agorism needs markets, kind of like Vin Armani said in our second interview, that self-sufficiency is not very conducive for agorism because agorism is the counter-economy. How can you have an economy when you are totally self-sufficient? That doesn't really make a lot of sense. So that's where I'm coming from. I do see where Pete is coming from as well. He's done a lot of good work in his recent episodes on his show, Free Man Beyond the Wall. So I definitely do recommend that one. And moving on from here, I am either going to get back into agorism and talk about Christian agorism, getting back to this parallel of the original Christian church, or I'm going to talk about some of the different approaches to seeking more liberty. So you've got things like the Second Realm, you've got Charter 77 and the Parallel Polis, there's Vanu, and there is Agorism, like we have talked about plenty. There are a lot of different approaches to achieving these goals, to avoiding the coercion of a force-based and coercion-based society as well as increasing liberty, freedom, morality, these kinds of things. And so I might do an overview of all these different approaches, compare and contrast them and talk about that aspect, or I might talk about Christian agorism, or I might combine the two. I'm really not sure, to be honest. I have not obviously recorded that episode yet. So that will at least give you a rough taste of what you'll be getting next week. Thank you very much for listening. I do definitely want to thank the monetary supporters of the show in particular. I greatly appreciate your support. That means a lot. And all of your money goes straight into producing this podcast. So thank you very much for that. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for reviews, ratings, these kinds of things. If you have not done that, please do so. There are not too many still on this show, so that would be very helpful as well. And please do feel free to send me an email at any time. Anytime you have feedback, questions, comments, uh, arguments, anything, feel free to send that to me if you're looking for resources, whatever. And I would love to get in contact with you and communicate with you that way. I'm also on Twitter at FoundationsPC. And technically, there's a YouTube channel that was not deliberate. My podcast hosting site just automatically does that. So there is a YouTube channel. doesn't really have a lot of traction there. And I've never actually set that up myself. That was kind of an automatic deal. But it does exist. So there are many ways to get involved. There is the rfoundations.podbean.com website. And all of this is in the show notes, except for YouTube, because I'm not really promoting that. 
But all the rest of it's in the show notes, YouTube, you can search for it. And please do support the show in whatever way works best for you. So thank you very much. I'll be back next time. I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye.